Welcome to the In Memory of Man podcast, a show dedicated to the brave new world of crime, artificial intelligence, and news. The future is now. Here's your host, criminal trial lawyer, researcher, and author, Robert Kiesling. Hello, welcome to the Robot Crime blog slash podcast. I am your host, Robert Kiesling, criminal trial lawyer out of Austin, Texas. This is episode two. The purpose of this podcast is to give you, the listener, information regarding artificial intelligence and how it applies to the criminal justice system, both now and in the future. The last time I left you, we were talking about the state versus Loomis, the Wisconsin uh, state versus Loomis, where artificial intelligence sentenced a man to six years in prison. Yes, artificial intelligence sentenced a man to six years in prison. But before we jump into that, I want to go ahead and read the news for this podcast. So, Saudi Arabia's robot citizen is eroding human rights. Airbnb uses AI-enabled trait analyzer to check if its customers are psychopaths. How to build ethical AI. And China claims AI can predict crime with a precision and speed unmatchable by humans. If you want to know more about those subjects, you can go to robotcrimeblog.com and there is a link to the full article. Let me thank my sponsors as well. Big Smoke, Big Smoke with a QUE.com for all your catering needs. Also, the law offices of Robert Kiesling, and that is for all your family and criminal trial needs, law offices of RRK. Also, Discredited Citizen, a near-future crime thriller about a man falsely accused of murder who must make an impossible choice. If you want to learn more about that, you can go ahead, go ahead and go to robotcrimeblog.com to explore that page as well. Okay, so let's talk about the bias and what bias means in terms of artificial intelligence. Well, like we talked about in the prior episode, there you have your cell phone, and yes, you know how to turn it on, you know how to turn it off, you know how to make a phone call, you know how to use an app, but you don't know the inner workings of the algorithms of how all that connects together to simplify it so that you can do that. Well, the same thing can be said for when a judge is looking at the uh, Compass program, which was used, uh, the artificial intelligence was used to sentence Mr. Loomis. Yes, they can look at the summary and they're gonna see that there's a chart, and then they're gonna see three qualities, right? It's either bad, real bad, or really, really bad. Well, Mr. Loomis came out as really, really bad, and that means that it took him from being eligible typically for probation to being sentenced to six years. And the problem is, is that the when the Court of Appeals, they certified it, which means that they said, hey, look, this is a, this is a pretty big question. Is, is it a violation of Mr. Loomis's due process if he goes ahead, uh, it, it, well, if the prosecution and the judge goes ahead and uses this AI that is private and secret, Mr. Loomis doesn't have a right to look into how they've calculated the information or came up with the information to use for his sentencing, does that violate his due process? Well, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin said no. Uh, they said that, uh, well, we're just gonna go ahead and say, well, we'll put a caution statement and anytime this AI is used, it says, hey, caution, this AI is going to be used, which is uh, uh, flies, in the fl- uh, flies in the face of precedent. 
And how does it do that? And what is precedent? Precedent is used by courts that it basically says, hey, look, this is how it needs to be done. And, and until such a time that uh, it, there is something of, of major significance that needs to overturn that, we were, going, we're going to go ahead and base our ruling on that prior ruling, which is called precedent. Well, the precedent for sentencing and for pre-sentence investigation reports, right, um, uh, the, those are used to sentence someone. Well, it, it says in especially Wisconsin, there's a few cases that say the defendant has a right to review and verify the information that is used to calculate and whatever they use to put together for justifying that sentencing. Uh, the defendant has a right to look at that information. But yet, when it comes to a, an actual sentencing, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin said, no, Mr. Lemus doesn't have that right. Well, um, again, that flies in the face of the precedent that was involved in Wisconsin, and the Supreme Court of the United States denied to hear that case. A uh, few issues that come to mind also, there is, they were the company that actually created the software, they were denied an amicus brief. Uh, what does that mean? Um, an amicus brief is a friend of the court. Literally, that's what it means in Latin. Um, and it allows a company or someone outside, an expert, to go ahead and give information that can help the judge take a look at, uh, take a look at the facts a little bit more and apply them to research. Well, the interesting thing is that the company was denied the ability to go ahead and do that, but uh, it was, there was an amicus brief that was allowed to be used, and that amicus brief was to be in support of that artificial intelligence. Well, that, uh, that clearly, um, I, think, uh, I think that's biased as well, but that's just my opinion. Um, let, me, let me back up. So, for example, in Change Lanes, let's look, at, let's look at Amazon. Well, Amazon in 2018, which is obviously after the ruling in the Loomis case, uh, came up with an employment algorithm and it taught itself, yes, it taught itself uh, bias and bias against women because the input and the information that the coder put into, let's say, again, let me use the black box in your phone, right, uh, that put into this, this, this metaphorical black box, spit out this information and said, hey, look, these candidates are more qualified, but yet these candidates are more qualified because I have taught myself, I'm saying the artificial intelligence taught itself, that male candidates are more qualified than female candidates. Well, obviously they pulled that software. So changing lanes back to Mr. Loomis, you can't tell me that there wasn't bias involved in that. Now let's take that further. So there is an expert that when they appealed the case in the circuit court that talked about how there's a few issues and it should not be used in the severity of sentencing, which it was used in this case for the six years. They said that there's a couple issues. One is how do you update it? And how do you know how they updated it? And what were the standards of which they updated that software with? Because if they don't update it, then there's a huge problem. Also, it doesn't look at the individual specifically, it just looks at groups and then it categorizes that individual into a group, which is crazy to me. But we don't know if that group was affiliated with citizens of, say, California, citizens of Ohio, citizens of Texas. And that has a huge factor on how it was calculated. 
Now, the interesting thing about this case is that Mr. Loomis's attorneys did not argue the confrontation clause, nor did they uh, argue the equal protection clause. Now, equal protection means that we all have the same rights. Um, and they were, they were saying that they didn't make the argument that there was, um, that the equal protection was invoked. But clearly, if there, if there was some kind of bias, I think that obviously that they could have made that argument. Also, a confrontation argument where you have a right to Conf confront your accuser under the Constitution. And I think that anytime you're going to be sentenced to six years, you should be able to look at that information in the precedent for pre-sentence investigation out of Wisconsin anyway, says the same thing, that the, the defendant has a right to, again, review and verify that information, which the Supreme Court didn't allow Mr. Loomis to do. Um, so it looks like we're cutting, cutting short on time. I want to go ahead and talk about my quote. My quote for the day is from Muhammad Ali. It is me, we, simple but effective. Also, if you would leave a comment uh, or questions regarding this podcast on Robot Crime Blog, also if you can go to iTunes and leave a comment there, that would be great. It would help to continue this podcast. Also, if you know anyone on Facebook or anyone in general on the internet that might be interested, go ahead and just go ahead and copy and paste that link and, and just pass along this information that will allow me to continue on this podcast. The next episode that we'll be talking about is going to be dealing with robot brothels. Yes, robot brothels. They do exist and they actually applied for a permit um, out of Houston, Texas. They were denied that, but they are continuing to push forward with that. Also, the leading developer for the robot brothels uh, ironically enough, is right here in Austin, Texas. So it should be interesting. I'll try to reach out to them and get some comments from them regarding that information. If Skynet doesn't take over by the next podcast, I look forward to seeing you then. All right, y'all take care. Bye.